0: Heavenly Father, thank you for each person who is here. We thank you that you are here and that you have a word to speak to us. Give us ears uh, to hear about the hope that you offer us in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen. You can be seated. saw an article recently about a millionaire, multi-millionaire, a guy named Brian Johnson. 45 years old, and uh, the headline is that he wanted to be 18 again, and he has the time, I guess, and certainly the the money to pursue this goal of staving off, keeping death at bay. And so, um, he has dedicated his life to this. He has a very strict diet, of course, and exercise routine that he does, and The reporter said that he drinks a lot of smoothies and purees vegetables and drinks this brown goopish-like thing for dinner. Um, He has a medical suite in his house and a team of 30 doctors and health experts. And they monitor his health uh, every day and weekly he goes through tests and procedures. Every week he has uh, laser treatment on his skin and acid peel. Uh, he does regular MRIs with his medical team. His said his goal is not to um, defeat death, but to kind of prevent decay as long as possible. And and he's got kind of a scientific goal, and that is that his organs would be the 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 biological age of his organs would be reduced by twenty five percent, and that's what he is aiming for. And he said that he hopes that. Uh, His work in this area would benefit regular people like you and me. So, maybe you can look for that goop-like substance in the grocery store at some time in the future. This guy's name is Brian Johnson, and I think that he probably doesn't agree with all the Bible, but he would agree with the Bible statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says that death is... An enemy. Death is an enemy. And so where can we find hope? Confronting this enemy of death. Our gospel reading, we've been reading through the gospel of John during Lent, and um, I have certainly enjoyed these lengthy stories, these narratives of Jesus interacting with different people, revealing who he is. It's a very rich gospel. And so, you know, he started, we started in Lent with the exchange that he had with Nicodemus. And in the context of his discussion with Nicodemus, this religious leader, Jesus promises eternal life. And that's where we get John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That was in the conversation he had with the religious leader, Nicodemus. We saw... um, his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well, an outsider where Jesus said to this woman who was searching, who was thirsty for reality, for something to satisfy her heart, he said to her, the woman at the well, that he can give you, he said, I can give you living water. If you drink what I give you, you'll never thirst again. Last week we saw that Jesus had... Lengthy interaction with a blind man that he had healed. And it created all kinds of, stirred up all kinds of controversy and discussion about who Jesus was. Because he healed a man who had been born blind from birth. And now we get to this story. This has happened just after the healing of the blind man. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And in the context of this story, Jesus makes this great claim to Martha the sister of Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. There's the hope, if we believe it, confronting this great enemy, death. Jesus makes the claim, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks this question to Martha, and he asks this of all of us today, I believe. He's asking each and every one of us, do you believe this? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. He makes a statement and then he calls us to put our personal belief in this claim that he makes. And sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, uh, to believe this claim. Sometimes we can waver in our faith just as I think Martha and Mary do in this story. As we confront death at the funeral of a friend or When we are at the graveside of a loved one, as we go through the aging process, the question arises, do you believe this? The promise that Jesus makes here? I am the resurrection and the life. Martha and Mary, we see them, they they don't quite understand what Jesus can do in the face of death. And their faith, Kind of wavers in this story. Their faith that Jesus can raise the dead. Like many Jews, they believe that there would be a resurrection day. Uh, Martha says to Jesus, "I, I know that there's going to be a resurrection on the last day, she says. So she's thinking future tense. But Jesus says, I am right now, present tense. The resurrection and the life. Because he is God incarnate, because He is the Son of God, because He carries the life of God, which is eternal life. He can offer that to people. I am the resurrection and the life. He can give that in the present tense. Uh, Martha and Mary knew that Jesus had the power to prevent death because of all his healing miracles. So they both said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But maybe they were thinking, it's one thing to heal. It's another thing to raise the body of a man who's been dead for four days. If you had been here, Jesus, this would not have happened. Martha made this great uh, faith-filled statement. It's a wonderful confession of faith. Where she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. But then when they get to the tomb, and Jesus says, Take away the stone, Martha says, He's been dead for four days. There's going to be a terrible odor. It's like, You think this really is a good idea, Jesus? (laughs) We're going to really do this? Roll away the stone? And that's what can happen in our life. Just like Martha, our faith can go through peaks and valleys. We don't fully understand who Jesus is, and we don't fully understand what Jesus can do. The question is, are you going to stay with Jesus? Are you going to, like Martha did, follow Jesus even in the midst of the questioning? Stick by His side. See what He can do. Our faith can waver especially when we're face to face with this great enemy death. Pastor Gordon MacDonald writing in his late 60s talks about being part of a small group Bible study for people his age, late 60s into the 70s. He was sharing this with a group of 20 somethings, 20 something pastors and church leaders, and he said to them, "What do you think that we talk about when we get together, late 60s, early 70s folks?" They didn't really have a clue. <laughs> and he said, what we talk about a lot is death. We we talk about stories of people who've died. We make jokes about it. But it's it's something that is existential for us. It's, it's right down the road for us. And the question we're wrestling with within our Bible study group is, do we believe this? Are we clinging to this, this promise that Christ has given us? No matter what our age, I, I agree with this statement by a guy named Warren Wiersbe. I wonder if you agree with this statement. He says, if Jesus can do nothing about death, then what else, whatever else he can do amounts to nothing in the end. If Jesus can do nothing about death, and whatever else he can do in the end, it amounts to nothing. So, in the midst of our questions and our wavering, Jesus throws out this promise. It's like a man throwing a rope to a drowning man. Cling to this, this promise. I am the resurrection and the life. And then let's look and unpack what he claims here as it goes on here. He says, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So, let's think about what Jesus is saying here. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. So, Jesus does not call us to deny death, physical death. Lazarus is really dead. There's no doubt about it. Four days in the tomb. His body is decomposing. Jesus does not call us to deny death. And sometimes... We can deny that, and there are people who live in the denial of death, and that denial of death can lead to delusion. In fact, there's a a Harvard doctor named Atul Gawande, who wrote a book called Being Mortal, and he said that, you know, we are trained as doctors to fight death. Medicine is about fighting death and disease. But he admits in this book, we're facing a superior enemy as doctors, And we are not going to win. Eventually, death is going to win. And he said some patients are deluded by a fantasy of what medical science can do. The reality is that death is an enemy that we cannot defeat. Yet, Jesus throws out this promise in the face of it. If you are in me, Jesus says, if you are trusting in me, if you are related to me by faith, though you die physically, yet you will live. And the reason is this, because in the Bible, life and death are not to be thought of, as one writer says, as existence and non-existence. See, apart from belief in God, death is extinction. It's the end. That's it. But that's not how Scripture talks about it. Life and death are not to be thought of as existence or non-existence, but two different states of existence. It's not extinction. It's a different mode of existence. Though he die, yet shall he live. He will live in the eternal presence of God because he's connected to the eternal life of God through Jesus, you see. That's our hope. And then the parallel to this is the one who lives and believes in me will never die. And there he's talking about the second death. There's the physical death of the body, but there's something the Bible says that's worse than physical death. And that's spiritual death. That is alienation from the life of God, who is the very source of our life, who is the very source of love, who is the very source of all that is good. That's the second death. That's spiritual death. That starts now and can go on to eternity forever apart from faith in God through Jesus Christ. That's worse than physical death. So, the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is talking about that alienation from the life of God. Friends, don't be alienated from God. Don't be alienated from this life who is the source of life, who is the source of love. Don't be alienated from the life of God who is light because that way leads to darkness. As, Paul, as John has been saying, he's been making this contrast, hasn't he, all through the gospel between light and darkness. There's light and darkness. And he's calling people to walk in the light that He's revealed, who He is. So, that's just something I, that's a warning I I want to issue. If if you feel a tendency to to start to move away from the light, from the love, from the life of God, that's alienation from God who is your source, who is your life. Don't be alienated from the life of God, but receive the life And cling to this, what Jesus gives us. So this is the promise of Jesus in the graveyard. At the edge of a tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. Through faith in me, you are united to God. Do you believe this? Are you clinging to this promise? Now, a materialist, of course, doesn't believe this because a materialist says all there is is matter. So that when we die, that's it. When our fathers or mothers die, that's it. There's nothing more than matter. They were only molecules bumping up against molecules. When your beloved spouse, or God forbid, your child die before you do. And we've had people go through that here. That's it. They were just molecules bouncing off of other molecules. What a hopeless way of thinking about humanity. But that's what the materialist says, because they have no room for the idea of God, of transcendence, of something supernatural. I heard a story this week, a scientist was on the radio, and they were talking about this discovery. Maybe you heard this. um, There was a, a probe that went to an asteroid, and this probe brought back some material from this asteroid. And they found, fascinating, they found a, a an organic matter, like a nucleotide. I don't remember exactly what they called it, but something that could be the the or is the the building block for RNA. Okay, so that was an amazing discovery. They found this on an asteroid. They brought it back. And the scientists were like, wow, it's amazing. And then but the scientists said now this could help us Maybe think about how life got here on earth, but it can't explain, she said something like this, it can't explain the spark that set it all off or where it all came from. It can't explain that. That's still a mystery. And if we believe God, if we believe the Scripture, it's it's not a mystery to us. There's a lot of mysteries to our faith, but this is not a mystery. That God is the creator and sustainer of all, including our life. And so it's, it's no problem for God to give life-giving power to His creation. The tomb is no barrier to that at all. That's what He's doing constantly. He's giving life-giving power to you right now. <laughs> the next breath that you take is a gift. It's all a gift of God. God is sustaining life in you and in creation now. It's no problem for him to raise the dead. And so when Jesus prays with a loud voice so that everybody hears this, Lazarus, come out! This is the voice of God. Can you imagine being at that funeral, by the way? (laughs) Can you imagine the shock and the terror and the awe and the worship and the amazement of something like that? Lazarus came out of the grave. It's not a metaphor, it's not a myth, it's not an allegory. The Bible is claiming that it really happened. And as a result of that, many people believed, it says. And that gets us to the final point here, and that is the purpose of this miracle. The purpose of this miracle is, first of all, at one level, it's a display of the love of Jesus for Lazarus and this family. As the, the story said at the beginning of this chapter, that Jesus loved. I love that. Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. He had an affection for this family. And, and, and the tears of Jesus were taken by some people in the crowd as an expression of his love. They said, look how he loved them. And then the question came up, well, if he loved him, Could he not have prevented him from dying? See, the death of Lazarus raised the question of the love of Jesus and the extent of that love and the power of that love. And that's how it is with us, too. As we see loved ones die, and as we experience, again, our own mortality, the question is, does God love us? Where is the love of God? How powerful is this love to deal with this great enemy? And so when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, it answers the question about the power of his love. Death cannot defeat it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that as well as we face death and as we see loved ones die. Nothing can separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus, if we are united to him, we're united to the life of God. And we need to offer that hope to others. This miracle is an expression of the love of Jesus, but it's also an expression of the glory of Jesus so that we might believe, so that the people might believe that they would see the glory of Jesus, the glory of God shining through Jesus in this great miracle. It's a display of the glory of God. He's made a promise and now he's going to prove and he does prove that he can fulfill this promise and now he wants us to believe in his person, you see. You've got the promise. You've got the proof. You've got the person behind the promise. Will you see the glory, he's saying. Will you see the glory of God shining through me in this And will you put your trust in me? How glorious it is that Jesus can defeat this enemy. An enemy which the Harvard doctor said, we can't defeat this enemy. An enemy which the millionaire said, I'm doing the best to be 18, but I can't defeat this enemy at the very end. No, Jesus can. God can. He did it with just a word. Lazarus, come out. That's the power of God. Our culture preaches to us that we should trust in ourselves, that we should optimize ourselves somehow. Self-optimization, that's kind of a, a buzzword that's going on. You, you self-optimize through positive thinking by, by manifesting what you want to really want to happen. If you really, really believe and click your heels three times, you can make things happen in your life. Positive thinking, manifest it. You're not going to defeat death that way. Or if you have enough money and power and technology... You can optimize yourself. But when we're facing death, we don't need self-optimization. We need divine resurrection. We need what only God can give us. Whether we're talking about physical death or spiritual death, alienation from God, Jesus says to you, to me, I'm the resurrection and the life. He did these things that we might believe, that we might keep believing, that we might keep looking to Him, trusting in Him as a source of the life and the love that we need. Let's trust Him now and always. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the promise that You give us in Christ, the glory that we see in Christ, And help us, Lord, to reflect on these things. What would it mean for us to believe this today? What would it mean for our friends and family to believe this today? That you are not a God of death, you are a God of life. What would it mean for us to ask you, Lord, to help us to believe this more and to see your glory shining through Jesus? Oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open our hearts and eyes to see these things. These things that can't be seen in the natural, but need to be seen through the power of your Spirit. That's the only way. And so grant us the grace to see these things, to believe them now, and to continue to believe them amidst the questions and the misunderstandings to stay close to you, Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen.